Mm-hmm. It's needed in a world that tells you that your trauma and your pain is just fine. Have a life of trauma. It's like it's normal. It's normal. So we're feeding you for breakfast. Take it. Like you're opposing it. Oh, how do you have the audacity <laughs> to do that? Yeah. So that validation. Um, and then as I continued reading and reading, and then like seeing like these past works, right? So from years ago, seeing how they've been made real and mm, how their mm. work has made it so now so many of us are freer because of the critiques that they had and because yeah. of the struggle that they had and because they were saying we see you and also this is a work that needs to be done we benefit from that now and so yeah. i have always felt a responsibility um to not just like theorize around this stuff to actually be about material change Hey, loved ones, welcome to Naked Conversations, a space for you and I to meditate, strategize, and dream of the tools needed to transform into radical selves. I'm your host, Martisa Williams, free being, radical wayshore, and liberation doula. My purpose is to support the collective on our journey to deeper joy, sweeter justice, and fulfilling presence. So are you ready to step into your most liberated life yet? Let's get to it. Over the past year, it has become abundantly clear that our world and our communities are in desperate need of some healing. Between the state-sanctioned murders of dozens of black and brown folks, to climate catastrophe, to the war on folks with uteruses, and all manner of international nightmares, the way we've always done things is killing us. And in the wake of all of this, many of us have felt hopeless and confused. We sign petitions and donate money and post on Instagram, but that honestly just doesn't feel like enough. For years, I have held the belief that transformed people transform the world. The work of freedom and liberation must be done both from the political side and from the shifting of the individual's heart. And for many years, I've been playing with methods of doing this for myself, working on how to unlearn the oppression that I grew up in, how to stop perpetuating that oppression in the world around me. And out of that inquiry and experimentation came the toolbox. So the toolbox is an annual membership packed with the tools I've used to make anti-oppression a daily practice. With the 12 month membership, you get unlimited access to all of my embodied liberation workshops, presence practices, group coaching, and more. This is a huge, huge part of my life's work, and I am so excited to share with you. For more information or to become a member, click the link in the show notes 
or go to letsgetnaked.com slash the toolbox. Hello, dear ones. Welcome back to another episode of Naked Conversations. I hope you have enjoyed the last couple episodes of this season and am super excited to share with you the interview with Toy Smith today. But before I get into who Toy is and what we talk about in this episode, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that our monthly books and yoga study group will be happening this Saturday and Sunday. This is November 19th and November 20th that we'll be studying together. And this month we are studying A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles by Marianne Williamson. Every month we dissect another book, mostly by BIPOC authors and texts that help us integrate or to learn and deepen our understanding of collective liberation. This month we're reading A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, and this book is really close and near and dear to my heart because Marianne, her work, her words, was hugely foundational in growing up for me in my own spiritual lineage. She was actually the pastor of the church that I grew up in, and A Course in Miracles is something that I still study today and has helped formulate my liberation praxis in many, many ways. So if you'd like to join us, if you'd like to read along, I know once this episode goes live, it's only a couple of days to join us, but there is an abridged version of the book on Audible or everywhere you can get audiobooks. But also, if you just want to jump into the conversation, feel free. And if you hear this after the dates have passed, that is totally okay. We are still probably doing books and yoga, and you can find that at our website at letsgetnaked.com slash books dash yoga. On that note, I want to introduce our amazing guest for today, Toy Smith, who is a growth and impact strategist whose work centers on doing life, business, and motherhood differently. Toy works with people whose work is countercultural, liberatory, and revolutionary in nature, or people who desire and are committed to moving their work or lives in that direction. I found Toy a few years back. I feel like I've been in Toy's orbit a little bit for a few years, but this year I have been participating in the spell of capitalism with her and her partner, Jen Lehman. And it has been amazing. I, the thing I have loved most about Spell of Capitalism, one, is that you can kind of work on it asynchronously, but also that the level of resources in there to just deepen your understanding of how capitalism works, because that word can be so elusive. It's become more of like a, you know, a hot topic word, a buzzword these days in these communities. But it's so powerful and it's really important to understand how our structures work. Before we can go and like dismantle the structures, really getting a good grasp on how they work is so important. And what I love about Toy's work and her resources in the spell of capitalism is that she shares that with us. And so in this episode with Toy, I had the pleasure of talking with her about her journey through her 20s and how that journey built her liberation praxis. 
we talked about um, how we have been split from our knowing. We talk a lot about mothering and mothering as activism because Toy does so much work with um, black single mothers. We talk the difference between what Toy uh, calls motherhood and what she calls mothering. So we talk about the differences between those two. We talk about the truth of mothering, like what that really looks like and the things that she wished that she had been told before she embarked on this journey. And then we obviously talk about her program, The Spell of Capitalism, and just what it's like to be a thought leader in the age of the internet. So I'm so, so excited to share this episode with you. I hope you really enjoy it and I will see you on the other side. Hi Toy, thank you so much for coming on to Naked Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. It's so, I'm super excited to have this conversation, but before we get into it, um, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests, and that is what made you, you? It's such a, it's such an interesting question. Um, I'm going to go with like what made this version of me, me, um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like throughout life, of course, we're so many different versions of ourselves and we evolve to be different people. So in this version of me, Toy, who is almost 40 years old, I would say that motherhood has shaped a great deal of who I be, um, my politics, um, my perspectives and orientations in the world. Um, Black single motherhood particularly uh, have informed so much of how um, I exist now. And it shaped a lot of how I show up. And so a lot of people like to think of me as, like, as very bold and you know, saying what I need to say. And that comes from having to assert myself in a certain kind of way as a black single mother that exists in these systems. And so Toy, who's almost 40, is very clear um, and very, Uh, reassured around how we're heading collectively and where we're going and just feeling a lot of love and excited for um, what new worlds we're creating outside of all of the oppressive systems. Yeah, I love that. As you were speaking, I was thinking, uh, I'd love to know some of those checkpoints or some of that journey as you got to this version of toy mm-hmm. who was clear like yeah. you know what was it like being um a younger version of yeah. you specifically before you became a mother mm-hmm. I you know I have this conversation a lot with friends because I always say my 20s feel like they were filled with trauma like I feel like when I look back, and that's where I had my kids in my 20s, when I look back at my 20s, I know that girl, but I'm also, I feel sad because I know like, it's such a blur. Like there's a trauma spell that I was under that started like right when I exited high school um, and was trying to like figure out what I wanted to do in the world. Um, And I wouldn't have had the language of course back then to call it a trauma spell, but it was essentially like all my decisions were based on abandonment, based on feeling unloved, based on this orientation of the world that just, I felt 
like I wasn't supported. No one was there for me and like searching for it and reaching for it. And so a lot of my relationships that created my kids were from that. Um, and so they weren't the healthiest, mm -hmm. but I learned a lot, but that, that is like part of a checkpoint for me. When I look back, my whole twenties were felt very traumatic. Like I'm very stable now, but my twenties were not that. Mm -hmm. What were some of those tools that you moved through? I mean, I think that that story is so relatable for so many, you know, like that the twenties can be this like really big clusterfuck, <laughs> you know, huge. <laughs> um, and like, so what were some of the things that helped you move through and pass that stage? Like, cause there's so much wisdom that you hold now. There was gotta be bumps in the way and lessons and tools learned. Oh gosh. I mean, I don't, I, if I look at my twenties, I feel like I was just going through it. I don't think it was until, so my last son was born when I was 29. Um, and it wasn't until me and his father ended our relationship. So it's about 30. My son was like one, one and a half. And I had to move back in with my mom. And I had to move back in with my four sons into her two, three bedroom home. And she only had one bedroom that was available for us to be in. And to be like 30 year old toy with four kids in a one and this one room and my mom back in my mom's house. Um, I think it was really at that point where I I knew ending that relationship that that was a severance from me for me from Toy in her 20s. I didn't know what the moves were gonna be, but I knew that like I'm not doing that again. I'm not going yeah. back to those relationships or doing that. And so being back in my mom's house just forced me to understand that this was a temporary situation that I was in in my mom's house and how did I want to move forward? And so I just kind of made a conscious effort to uh, journal and understand like what the fuck just happened? Like, yeah. whoa, whoa, like we just spent a whole like 10 years going through some shit, what happened? So journaling and like, I would get up uh, before I had to go to work like 5 a.m and I would read and I would write and I would listen and I, you know, would just try to be in touch. And there was no therapy, there was no therapist. There was, I couldn't afford any of that stuff. Okay. Like it was really just me with me and like seeing what was present. Yeah. And in that process, like how did your current liberation process get formed through that? I mean, there are so many, so many moments where I knew things were unjust and I didn't have the language. So one big piece of it was like, I had to go to court multiple times for in like in battle with the fathers of my sons. And during like the process of going to court for anybody that's co-parenting or going through any kind of custody shit is like dehumanizing. Like it's, mm. it's not for anyone. It's not, it's not set up to benefit really anyone. It's to benefit the state. They mm. really don't want to be involved and they shouldn't insert themselves into our, our, our dynamics, but the way our systems are set up, there's really no other way. Um, and so it was, 
and being going having to go to court and like having a white judge tell us like you need to do this you need to do this like that part of me just felt like why can't we figure it out but we're so broken like why can't we do it and then having to then have this white authority figure tell us that this is how you're going to structure your family or how you're going to move and that was a big part for me another big um thing for me was going to debtors court so i got sued um for some old um medical debt um and i had one thing about me is I'm going to read up on some stuff and I'm going to understand before I go somewhere <laughs> how things work and things like that. And so I knew that this particular company that was suing me was in the wrong. I knew that they were violating some uh, laws related to credit reporting. And so I went to, I was going to court like prepared for this battle. And I just witnessed like this big credit company and their attorneys like scaring poor people. Mm. scaring them at in the courtroom like just saying like well you didn't pay the bill now we're going to garnish your wages or you can set up a payment arrangement or we're going to garnish your wages and them not understanding their rights and just listening to that made me realize like these systems are just crushing us and yeah. I still didn't have the language but my body could tell and I mm -hmm. went into that court that court hearing and presented, like told them that they were wrong and I won. But there were so many people who were in the waiting room who were just getting bamboozled by these attorneys who were telling them like, you don't have any rights. You basically need to set up this payment arrangement or we're garnishing you. And, yeah. and just realizing how stacked against us these systems are. Yeah. I love that you brought out this phenomenon that I experience all the time which is like when you don't have the language for a thing but you feel it you know it and what's so fascinating about that I think especially in like femme bodies and POC black bodies mm -hmm. so much of our knowledge so much of our understanding is a knowing right you know, like it is a feeling, it's a knowing, it's the way that my body reacts in a situation, it's the way that I am um, feeling, you know, it's that language that has been told, that has been, um, we've been told doesn't matter, or that is too flaky, or can't be relied on, or is like, you know, whatever. And I think that part of the liberation journey, I know for me, has been really digging into that like understanding and putting stock into my own knowing mm -hmm. and listening and trusting the knowing of others as well. And I think it's so interesting how so many of us are on one of two paths where it started, where we had a very clear knowing where we weren't detached from that. And then we got the language mm -hmm. or, or maybe, and, or, we're starting from the other standpoint where we had all this language, we had all this knowledge, you know, we went, we did the scholarship route and now we're moving into our, into our knowing. And I'm kind of interested if you can talk more about your knowing and it's, um, it's role in your work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to name and name what you're saying around like, you know, whiteness splits us, right? So it's, above the line, below the line. And my friend Jen always talks about this, like 
above the line is what whiteness and white supremacy hold to be accurate, moral, moral and valuable of like, I can think it, I can like, not even feeling it, but I can have a thought on it. We can go to school about it. All of these ways that it's just like executive functioning all the way across the board of like this after this after this. And then there's the below the line, which gets discounted in our culture, which is mm -hmm. the body, which is intuition, which is knowing, which is spiritual connection, which is nature, which is land, which is all of these holistic ways that we exist as humans gets discounted. Um, and that severance is part of whiteness and what, what whiteness did to our people, our lineages, you know, all the way, way back. So I think for me, my knowing started in my body and in my experiences, right? My connection became when I started reading and when I started, because I didn't go, I went to college, didn't finish. My college degree, like I went to culinary art school and then I went to for business management. So I wasn't reading any Angela Davis or Bell Hooks. I didn't grow up in a hella political family in that way. I live in Denver, Colorado. It's not like we're the, you know, <laughs> known for all the black folks that there are hella political here. So it's not that I grew up in that. It was really um, motherhood with, is what radicalized me. Mm. And so when I started like picking apart all of the ways that it was okay for a black woman to be a single mother, it was okay for us to be shamed, blamed and guilted. It was okay for us to be a scapegoat. It was okay for us to be harmed. Like for me to personally have those experiences and be like, why doesn't the fuck anyone care? Mm -hmm. Why is it okay? And then really started reading. So like started reading Bell Hooks and this was like, you know, 10 years ago, just started like picking up stuff. No one else, none of my other people close to me were reading, but what it, what I found in it was so much comfort. Mm -hmm. because I was like yo this is like not okay like I've been in existing where y'all been saying this is how I'm supposed to I'm supposed to be okay with it and I watched my mom as a single mom battle certain things domestic violence drug addiction um single motherhood all of these things and her not her not complain but her fight against it right so her her the dynamic of her trying to figure out why was it happening to her but not saying it like she came from a good family and not having those conversations with me and so I'm looking at myself and looking at her and her story and our story together yeah and I'm looking at her relationships and in my relationships and I'm like okay wait there's something there's something here and so then the puzzle pieces of reading black women and femmes who are like, this is a problem. Yes. Yeah. Here's the language. Here's the critique. Here's the, what we're struggling against. And me being able to see in that, like, okay, there's language mm -hmm. and there's also possibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. That part language and possibility. I think that I can relate so much. Um, it was in high school when I first picked up um, for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. 
And I remember the first time I read that, the like, I was like, oh shit. Like, mm-hmm. like there is a whole lineage, right? And like, I had awareness of that because I was raised by a single mom and my village was my grandmother, my aunt, my cousin, who was like the women who really like yeah. raised me. And so I had that awareness because I was built in that place. I also had a mom who was like, okay, I'm sending you to white schools, but everything else around you is going to be black. Like, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. really <laughs> important. It's like, you're going to get this education that I think is the best for you, but like you, you've got to understand your history and your culture. And so like my bookshelves as a kid, especially like a toddler was all black artists. Like mm-hmm. it was all black books. And I, I'm blessed to have that. Yeah. But when I remember being a teenager in the middle of like teenage turmoil, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And reading for colored girls and being like, oh, I'm not alone in my experience. I'm not alone in these big feelings. I'm not alone in in the creativity of it all as yeah. well. And so that was like my starting point was like, okay. Like I start here and then it's bell hooks. Then it's, <laughs> right. it's Angela Davis. Then it's like, you fall down this, this incredible rabbit hole. Yeah. But what I think is so beautiful about studying black women's work and feminist work and, and womanism is that what you said is like, there's possibility, there's validation. And yeah. then there's this incredible possibility Uh, And then we get to like build on that canon of work. Yes. Yes. That validation piece is necessary. Mm -hmm. It's needed in a world that tells you that your trauma and your pain is just fine. Have a life of trauma. It's like, it's normal. It's normal. So we're feeding you for breakfast. Take it. Like you're opposing it. Oh, how do you have the audacity (laughs) to do that? So that validation, um, and then as I continued reading and reading and then like seeing like these past works, right? So from years ago, seeing how they've been made real and mm, how their mm. work has made it so now so many of us are freer because of the critiques that they had and because yeah. of the struggle that they had and because they were saying, we see you and also this is a work that needs to be done we benefit from that now. And so I have always felt a responsibility um, to not just like theorize around this stuff, to actually be about material change, because Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the piece where we keep it going. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are, what are some of the ways that you do that? You bring it into the material, Material. the theory into the material? Well, I think the first place it starts is in my home Mm. um so I'm raising four sons by three different men and I always have to say that because I feel like once again validation for the black women who um don't see or hear themselves in our media in our social media who our stories don't get told you can be a feminist and a womanist but don't say you have kids by different men because then you're shame blamed because then you're the stereotype. So I always want to name that because it is a part of, of my journey. But for my, in my home, it starts because my sons, I want them to love being black, but I want them to under this, understand the responsibility of being boys who are going to turn into men. And I want to raise them. And I have been raising them in a way 
that honors responsibility. I want them to understand that they are responsible for each other. <clears throat> they are responsible for our home. They are responsible for um, that love isn't just something we say. Love is a verb. Like it's in the bell hooks way of like love is actionable, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And being responsible for each other and being okay with sharing our feelings. Like I'm raising emotional, intelligent, validating young boys who can tell each other, I love you, who are looking out for each other, who I want them to be, I want that to be my biggest gift to this world is that I'm raising these kind of boys who can exist in our society as men who who feel yeah and with those feelings know how to be with those feelings and know how to regulate themselves and know how to have a secure attachment and know how to you know exist and so that's one of my material things yeah is taking my learning and embodying it in the house I don't get it perfect definitely but what I I do allow them to check me I allow them to have conversations with me be like mom that was hypocritical like you said like this thing so I allow this relationship where I am not like dominating yeah over them um so that's one way and I would say another way is that I'm always trying to create ways to give money and like resources to black single mothers mm -hmm. like I have I understand my gifts so I try to use those gifts to call people in to feed material resources and money to the community that I want to be in support of. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Mm -hmm. I am really interested in motherhood as activism. Mm -hmm. Like I, I am really interested in that. Um, as someone who does not have kids. Yeah. And who's someone who doesn't tend to have kids at some point. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what that looks like. You know, like what does it look like to like be raising the next generation in not only in service to that individual human and that individual soul, right? Mm -hmm. Also as a collective gift to the yeah. movement. Like, I think that's important. I think that is so important. It's not a conversation that we, I really see. I don't know. I'm not really in the motherhood space yeah. because I'm not a mom yet. <laughs> so it could be, and I'm just missing it. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that's such, maybe I'm not seeing it for the people who at some point will become mothers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think mother, mothering and motherhood, cause I, I, there's a distinction for me, but I think, um, there are some revolutionary mothers who are out here, you know, they're black women, they're women of color, they're usually poor. Like that's why we don't hear their voices mm -hmm. a ton. And because I always say like a lot of my work exists in the crevices of motherhood. It takes a lot to have a body of work while you're mothering mm. because you are mothering, you're caretaking. And, and because we know that there isn't a ton of support for moms, even if you're partnered, right? So it's, it's a struggle there. And so 
I do see motherhood and mothering as a point of activism as radical and revolutionary. Um, but I think first we have to get truthful about the experience of motherhood for most of us who decide to be mothers. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's not a lot of truthfulness. And I, when I talk about it, I get a lot of people who are like, I wish someone would have had these conversations with me. I wish that I would have known this because I think a lot of times the conversations around mothering is that it's so beautiful. It is that your life is going to change and it is. And also because we exist in these systems, you can lose yourself mm. and you can not be taken care of and it becomes a struggle. And so there's a real conversation that has to happen first where we have to understand that we put so much of the raising of children on women, even if they're partnered. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't require the same level of care from the men who decide to have kids as well. And so there's a real conversation that I, I want to have for younger women and femmes who decide, who want to weigh the options. Yeah. Right? Like you can't make an educated decision around something that no one's being truthful about. Okay. And so we have to have the real conversations first and then be able to say, and also it's revolutionary and it's beautiful and all these things can exist. And this other thing exists too. So mm -hmm. how do we acknowledge that? How are we going to protect the moms? How are we going to support the mothers so that they don't give up so much of themselves that they don't even exist? enjoy mothering that yeah. they can't really be a part of it um yeah it, it's it's a, a double bind it's really rocky sometimes two things one will you define how you make a distinction between motherhood and mothering mm -hmm. yes um and then I'm interested in you talking a little bit more about what the truth is behind it yeah so for me mothering is the act of like raising a child stewarding mm. i i think of it as um stewarding um i'm not here to dominate i'm not here to control i'm not here to have ownership over my sons i'm here to steward them in this life and i think of it like you know if you go bowling and you put up the like uh the guards on the side and so like the ball goes back and forth like I think of myself at those guard as those guards and even like those who are collectively raising my kids as well. Like we're the guards and we help my sons not go into the gutter. Like our role is to allow them to move freely, but act as some protection, mm -hmm. not to dominate over them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think of as mothering, right? It's it's an act, it's a verb, it's something that you're participating in, like parenting. It's participatory like we are in it we are thinking about it we are conscious we are collaborating all the things and then motherhood is a state of domination that is what the systems of oppression uphold so it's capitalism and patriarchy it's how we are forced sometimes to mother because of the systems that uphold a certain version of motherhood Mm. so motherhood is the system it is the perfection it is the only women are the caretakers it is 
the paternalism that comes from patriarchy and existing in a heteronormative relationship. It is how you lose yourself. Mm. And we have to mother inside of motherhood. And so that's how I look at it. Does that make sense? <laughs> a thousand percent. Okay. A thousand percent. And I think it's a really useful distinction also to just constantly be reminded about the ways that the systems of oppression are banging up against right. all things, yeah. including mothering. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's really interesting. Yep. I love that framework. And yeah. And then I'd love to hear you talk about like, what is, you know, like, <laughs> What's the real <laughs> behind motherhood that doesn't get talked about? I mean, there's so much. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is how it will change your dyna- dynamics with whoever you're partnered with in raising your kids. You are, when you give birth, you come out a different person. There's a whole study on like what happens to a woman's body, her mind, her cells, just mm. all of it changes. Mm. You are a different person after the act of giving birth. Mm. And we in our society don't have a space for women to land into that. It is vary because of capitalism and levels of class, levels of privilege, all of the other things, you know, bound up in that. Like I went to back to work with my youngest son after he was six weeks old. Mm. And I had to take him to a sitter that I found on Craigslist that I didn't even really know that I just had to put trust in me and the universe. Like, okay, all's going to be well. Thankfully it was magical. She was amazing, but I had no business being back to work after six, six weeks. weeks. Yeah. Right. And so that part of realizing there are very few institutions or people who understand that transformation that women go through after giving birth. You you spent nine months carrying, you deliver, and now you have this whole new you and a new being. Mm-hmm. and so then you have a relationship that's going to shift too and how oh my god you need more people than less like you need people in your life cooking meals holding you holding your kid honoring the relationship you're in and what we like to do because of the nuclear family is isolate right so you don't have a lot of people coming in you don't have it's just you your part your partner the baby and that fractures so much. And so I would tell, I tell people all the time. And my big, biggest thing is like, you're going to need more people than you think. You're mm. going to need meal trained. You're going to need food. You're going to need your body tended to. I'm talking about body work, aftercare for you, massages. Like there should exist in that time that you're not working or thinking about work or going back to work where you're deeply nurtured and cared for. So while we're thinking of like a baby plan of how the baby comes out into the world, what's the mother plan? What, how are we going to handle your new body? And maybe the trauma that comes from birth, who are the people, excuse me, that we have in place to hold that. And 
if we're not thinking about that, what happens is a lot of women who give birth, they get into motherhood and they're shocked as fuck because they didn't have the space to even figure out what's there. And so I would say that's the biggest thing for me is that we're not told about how much of a change it is from who you were. It's like walking through a door, like you are a different person. It's like hopping on a plane in one state, getting off in another because Mm. it's different. Mm. And you need gentleness with that. Yeah. Did you feel that with every pregnancy and with every child? Yes. Yeah. I think um, what hit me, I knew I wasn't in healthy relationships, but when it was like me, I'm like, okay, like I can handle certain things. Yeah. But then when, like with my youngest son, when he was born, I was like, oh no, this really is not healthy. Mm. Because you realize, you know, how much you're not taken care of or how much inconsistency there is. Um, And I didn't have a ton of support. So if, you know, if anything, if I would have had more support, I think there would have been less trauma, but I did feel it in my body knowing that I'm I'm someone different. Your body shifts, you know, just like all of the physical mental things and if you're not if you don't have someone around telling you that's normal that's where some of that postpartum those feelings come up because you're like I don't they made it look so easy no one told me this thing and so I did feel it every time Yeah. yeah yeah that's so interesting it's it's super interesting because um I'm in the process of watching two of my closest folks in my life move into that portal Mm -hmm. they were both pregnant at the same time and um had babies within weeks of each other Mm -hmm. and their first babies and watching them like you know as a voyeur as an outside person (laughs) move through those stages it's been um fascinating to say the least and so much of what you're saying I'm seeing um just in my own like research about motherhood about you know watching some some mothers like get into activism work about motherhood and being like y'all gotta recognize that that postpartum period one is all forever and two that like you need the support Mm. and capitalism has robbed us it has robbed us of the necessary support the necessary means to raise humans yeah and how we we cut children out of our lives, right? So like, if you're a mom and you wanna participate in things, like normally it's like, you can't bring your kid. And usually the mom is a person who has the kids most of the time. Right. So we have to be in consideration of like, do we have a sitter? Oh, I can't go cause I don't have a sitter and kids can't come. And so we get left out then. So it is a real struggle to think about if you're planning to have kids, what you're gonna lose. That's an honest, Mm. honest consideration because we don't have a world that loves on children we don't Mm. live in a society that wants children around we have a society that sees children as a burden until they become productive members of society so it is a real thing to understand 
and to think about and to question how is my world, my social world, the things I want to participate in going to shift because I am having kids? Or what am I going to lose? Because for me, one of the biggest things was I couldn't do certain things because it I didn't have a sitter. Right. And I didn't have a partner who was gonna who's gonna babysit. And so it becomes isolating because then you lose certain friendships, you lose certain connections because you know you can't bring the kids around. And then babysitters are expensive. So moms just do their duty and stay home. And so this consideration of how do we make our places, our spaces that are about activism and liberation more opening for children. Yeah. And I, whenever I see like, you know, meetings and things like that, that say like childcare is available. I'm like, this is liberation. Yeah. This is about collective care because we understand that you can't just hire a sitter and that the kids need to see things that are happening and things that are taking place. And my mom is doing this and be introduced to that person. They need to experience that as well. Absolutely. What are some other ways that, you know, we can move in space that is more um, accessible to mothers? Um, I think that postpartum conversation is real. Yeah. It lasts for ever. I consider myself still postpartum there. I, matter of fact, yesterday, I just had a, a Mayan abdominal massage, um, which targets your uterus and realigns some things. And I didn't know about this kind of work that exists outside of Western medicine. Um, but I wish it was something that I knew because it's care work and body work that mothers need to know about after they're giving birth. And so many Black women who decide to become mothers don't know about this. So I would say like opening it up so Black women and those who are deciding to have kids understand like this is the, these are options for you. A doula, a midwife, you know, like someone to have conversations with after body work, like mm-hmm all like someone to just be with you. It's one thing to be able to have a babysitter and or have like a night nurse, um, but it's who are you talking to? Yeah. Who is mirroring back to you that things you are feeling are truthful? Who's, Who's holding the thread around how you are through this? And so creating those kind of spaces for moms, um, and flexibility. I think a lot of time in my spaces, like I always say the kids are involved, even if they're virtual, like if your kid pops in, you don't have to say what women will do a lot of times. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right. I'm so right. sorry that, mm-hmm. oh, I have to go. I can't come because of the baby. Bring the baby. Yeah. Like, you know, we have to, we have to get used to babies crying, babies interrupting, kids running up. Like it's fine. So taking away that shame and that guilt that women have for being unprofessional because their kids are in the space, like we have to do away with some of that, especially with how the world is shifting and how we're working and people are home. Yeah. You know, like we have to integrate the kids more. And 
Like my sons know everyone. Like they'll come in like, oh, is that such and such? Come in and say hi. Because they understand that like, like I said, my work exists in the crevices of motherhood. So while I may have closed my door and put on my light that says I'm working, if some shit hits the fan, like I have to step out or they have to step in. So making it, um, taking away the blame and the guilt and the shame around being mothers and what that means. That means it's messy, it's unpredictable, it's inconvenient for those of us who like to be scheduled and you know professional and all those things. Yeah. Um, just allowing a little bit more room. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I love that. Um, it feels very anti-capitalist to me. Mm-hmm. Like to be like, yeah, I'm human. Like I, I get to right. be human. <laughs> I get to be human, which means that I may have a child and that child gets to be human and they have to like, you know, something hits the fan, they got to come in. I think that there's so many ways that we have been taught through the systems of oppression to um, bind ourselves, bind our minds, bind our bodies, bind uh, our experience. Yes. So that it can fit in a very specific box and be, you know, okay for the next person who's also extremely bound up mm-hmm. you know and not saying yeah and not saying that they're bound up yeah how when we start sharing our stories how again it validates and liberates people mm-hmm. whenever I say like I'm a black single mom have four kids by three different men yeah the women that are like, yo, are you saying that? I'm like, I am. Yeah. You can say it too, sis. You can. Like we, my motherhood isn't invalidated. Your motherhood isn't invalidated just because it doesn't exist or fit into the boxes yeah. of tradition, which are, when we think about tradition, can be linked to oppression. So like what? Yes. We have to speak the thing. Yes. And feel into it. And then always go upstream and be thinking about like, why, like, if I feel shame for that, who benefits? Cause I don't. Right. Yeah. 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 It's so important. I, and I, it just, I feel like when we speak our truth, when we speak what is real and alive for us, mm-hmm. it not only invites people who are the same, right. But it also invites folks that maybe don't identify to be like, oh, that's possible. Yeah. Like that's possible that's right. It's okay. It's good. Like everyone's invited to the table, like to remember that Mm -hmm. life isn't a fucking monolith, that motherhood isn't a monolith. Yeah. And like to question the own, our own maybe bias about what we thought should have been and shouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. And where we got that from. And where we got it from. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, I want to, it doesn't feel like a switch gears because it's <laughs> yeah. so in alignment, but yeah. I want to talk a little bit about spell of capitalism yeah, and your journey to that and how um, you and Jen have created that container that I've been in in the last, this, this year, mm-hmm. um, kind of on the outskirts, but still a yeah. part of it. <laughs> we but... love the outskirts. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> we specifically designed it so people didn't have to feel like they were missing something if they didn't join a call or, you know, like 
that's not how we flow. Our lives are busy. So we were like, let's design it for the people who want the information, who want to understand, but can't do all the things. So outskirts yeah. is perfect. But um, oh, I mean, my journey into deeply understanding capitalism, oh, where did it start? I think it really started, I think there's a lot of points actually, but one that I talk about often is um, the last job job that I had was, um, I was working over you know, the holidays. So between Christmas and New Year's and the office was like really empty, like all the execs and I was in HR. So like all the execs were gone. No one was really in the office. And I had dropped my sons off at daycare and I was driving to the light rail here, which was like the train to get downtown. And on my way, I got into a car accident and I was like, on the highway, I got hit by two different cars. It was a pretty mm. horrific um, accident, um, but I came out okay. But I was still like, you know. Physically fun, okay. Like, physically right. okay, but like, you know, my nervous system was shot. And so I called yeah. my manager at the time and was like, um, I, I was in an accident. I don't think I can make it in. Uh, in the back of my mind, like nervous, like, what are they going to say? I had only been there maybe eight months and she was like, oh, okay, are you doing okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, well, if you're okay, you think you can make it in? No girl. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me set the scene again. It's the holidays. No one's in the office really. Doesn't really matter if I'm there or not. Like, three people in the office and this is a question and it was like that moment for me was like oh yeah I knew y'all didn't give a fuck but I I really right. now <laughs> in yeah. my body it's very clear <laughs> it's very very clear now. <laughs> so that was like one one instance for me and I have a whole lot of stories of working in corporate world that were like in hindsight, looking back, like y'all are just really, really fucked up. But yeah. my journey into like the spell of capitalism and the work that I'm doing with Jen came in to play with conversations that me and Jen would just have on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Like legit, just like talk, just talking shit. Like we would say, just talking about how things are so fucked, but we can see through, see through it and like, yeah. It came a lot with relationships, right? Like me dating and her dating and Jen's like 52, I think, and I'm 39. So like, there's a different perspective and she's a white, whole ass white woman, but like there's different perspective, perspectives and us like key keying on it and like seeing the intersection of capitalism, seeing the intersection of patriarchy and whiteness and being able to talk about it. Um, and then also and motherhood and mothering and child support. Like that's where I really started to unpack capitalism and understand uh, how much those systems depend on, especially capitalism depend on the labor of mothers and children and like understanding that. And so 
that started and it just started from conversations and they were like, well, maybe we could do something with this and we put it out in the world and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such a, an amazing container specifically that it's one year. Mm-hmm. It's a one year exploration. And I did the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was creating the toolbox, I was like, no, this is a one year thing. Yeah. This ain't no, oh, I took this course one time. Right. And now we're, we're liberated. We free now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I did that one month thing. I read that one workshop and we here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's so important and how it's, it's divided into different sectors and seeing, you know, how capitalism in the land, capitalism in our bodies, like really getting into that and the research, what I have found so um, useful for it being the like nerd, nerdy, like mm-hmm. scholarship person mm-hmm. that I am. Like, I love the resources that yeah. is, you know, the list of references that's like, here's how we trace this thing back. Here's how these other people and scholars are thinking about it. Um, it's really, really useful, mm-hmm. I think, for us to like sit in it. Yeah. I think so much of our liberation work, like, you know, the master's tool is urgency. So why the fuck would we use that tool yes. to try and get free? Like why would we why would we think that we gotta it's a quick thing that we go you know i'm gonna undo capitalism just like this you know? right check like, that off check it off good i mean honestly a year is not even long it's no. not long enough that's no. the tip of the iceberg right yeah right and that's why specifically we invite alumni to come back and do it i pay what you can mm. right so like we started with six months and we started with six months to see like how do we feel holding this container? Absolutely. How do people react? We don't want to commit too much and then it like not be what it needs to be. So get into it, feel into it. I'm like, okay, something's here. And then as we were doing it and doing the work, we're like, oh, we forgot capitalism and this, and we forgot capitalism and this. And so bringing in a couple other topics, but really feeling into that it is a journey. And it yeah. isn't, that's why I hesitate to call it a course. I say it's a journey. It's a journey, mm-hmm. it's a year long journey. And inside of that, you could do it again if you want, right? So like you did the first year and maybe months one, five and 12 were amazing. And the rest of it you didn't really get to because of your your life and yeah. existing in capitalism. Yes. But you want to come back. Okay, come in, pay what you can. And building building just this, somatic imprint with people who have done the work and what's really been beautiful um because inside of my work over the last seven years I've I've created a lot of containers and I online and I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs and creatives create their own membership communities and things like that online and you know we always go back and forth like how do you want people to interact how do you want people to get to know one one another and for Jen and I, we've been really clear on what we can hold and what we can't hold. Mm-hmm. Being responsible about that. Because talking about capitalism is talking about grief too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that part about grief and death is really important to understand somatically for us. And so when you get a lot of people who live together in trauma, who exist in trauma, and they're exploring this stuff and you say, hey, here's a spot for y'all to talk about it that gets a little tricky. Yeah. And so we've been 
really conscious of that. But what has come up as we've been doing it, the first iteration and now the second iteration, is that those who have done it a second time or who have been really into it this time, they form their own thing. They create their own WhatsApp group. They decided that like, we see each other on these calls. Let's get together. Let's talk about it. Let's have our own Zoom meeting. And that's the emergent process yeah. of liberation that we want to see. And that yeah. feels good, especially when talking about something like capitalism. Absolutely. That's cool that that's happening. And I think that that, that happens in so many liberation spaces. And that's yeah. exactly the point, you know? Yes. That's exactly the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, love, love that. I think, you know, honestly, listeners, like, ch- really check out. And I'm not saying this just because, like, toys on. I'm saying this because <laughs> I've been in spell of capitalism for eight months at this point, you know? Like, and it has helped, you know, clarify my own process around around it, you know, and help like, um, there's so many, I think it goes back to that knowing. It's like, when you start like digging into the scholarship, you recognize that you were not ever alone. You're not the first one that had that thought, had that experience, like that's it. And I think it's so interesting too. And I don't know how you experienced it or this or feels, feels it. Um, let me figure out how to articulate this. The experience of doing thought work, theory yeah. work, mm-hmm. one in the age of social media, mm-hmm. two in the age of our capitalist nonsense that we're yeah. experiencing. I see that there is a tool in the master's toolbox that says, well, I've got to be the first one who thought of this. I've got to be the only one who thought of this. It's got to be mine. And I need to, you know, trademark it and make it blah, 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 blah. And I see it come up in the liberation space where it's like, oh, well, this was my thought. This is my experience. You know, like this is my work. And yes, we should all get paid a thousands percent, especially because most of us are black women, POCs, them folks that are doing this. Yeah, Absolutely. But I find it so hard because I have a feeling in my body that is pointing me to something. And then I read that knowledge in somebody else's stuff. And I'm like, oh, right. There's a collective knowing here that we're all connected to. And um, navigating that has been really interesting experience. I'm wondering if you have any experience in that. I have tons of experience of this because I, like you, I work for myself. I exist in this online girl boss, social media entrepreneur, we all going to be millionaires world. (laughs) I exist in that too. And I've watched over the last seven years how a lot of things can be woke washed and you can make a profit from it, right? Mm. So you can use liberation language now, just use the language. You see this with big corporations all the time. Yes. But it's even with our micro businesses, just solopreneurs who can use the language and make money. It's profitable now. So anytime money is involved, we always have to look upstream, like who's benefiting? Where's the money taking us? And in one of my spaces called Business for the People, we had a conversation around like trademarking and, you know, What does it mean to trademark and what does it look like? And it's a double bind because black women and femmes are so used to having our shit stolen 
that, yeah, I want my shit trademarked. I don't, you can't take it, right? There's that piece as well. But then there's a piece of, there's nothing new under the sun. We're all building on each other's ideas. Right. So which is true. Right. Can they both be true? Possibly. And I think it it is that we have to understand sometimes where our responses to things are coming from, right? So if we are having a response to thinking someone's stealing our shit or that, um, you know, I said it first, that's a part of ownership. Like, do we have to own anything? Or are we stewarding it? Mm. Am I stewarding that idea or is it my idea? I think one of the key things of liberation is to let go of this idea that we get to own shit. Yeah. Like, I don't own my kids. I don't own, like, yes, I birthed this idea of spell of capitalism with Jen and our business for the people, but also like, it's not mine because it only exists because of the people. Right. So it's really tricky in those conversations to, to think about who gets to have ownership because nothing, like everything is an idea built upon an idea. You get yeah. to put your spin on it. You get to put your experience on it. You get to see it through your lens. You get to have like, like you get to put your essence on right. it. Right. And that's the part that we get to claim. Like my perspectives come from being a black single mom at this intersection, at this intersection. And so this is how I'm bringing it in. Whereas you might come in and have a whole different lens on something. We get to own that. But I don't think like we can overarching ideas are ours. I think they yeah. can be stewarded. And I think we have to do that with so much love and care and grace and we also have to be gentle to our ourselves and be like what part of us is desiring or feels attacked or what part of scarcity am I believing into that if it's not mine that I won't be well that I won't be taken mm -hmm. care of like mm -hmm. what part of me is wounded there and just say a prayer for that like I pray that I can release all limiting beliefs around scarcity that I can see what is here is real. Yes. And like just releasing some of that, I think is necessary. Yeah. I love that you're speaking to that. Um, That's hard as shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is. No. And I, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if there's a right answer. Yeah. There's not a right answer. It's hard. It's it hard. is hard. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. Um. It's really interesting. I'm I'm grateful for your response because it's mm -hmm. something I've been toying around in my own head yeah. for a while now, but lately a lot more as I see some of my work, some of my wording, some of the ways I do things showing up in people around me's own work, their yeah. thing. And I'm like, you know, what is, you know, there's this tension, even as I expand my business into having a team now yeah. where I'm not doing it by myself. Yeah. What does it look like? What does ownership really look like in a radical, in a business that is supposed to have a radical model? You know, I, I have a friend, I'm not going to name her. I'm going to ask her one time if I can name her, but she had an issue with another creator who was taking some of her 
things, not the exact things, but like, you know, like adjacent, like yeah. around it, like close enough where you're like, oh, that's a right. little, has a little bit too much of my essence. And so he reached out and said, Hey, like, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing. I maybe you don't see it, but can we talk about it? Yeah. And that was one time where it worked, where the other person was like, oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Mm. Okay, I won't use this word. I won't use this language. That's yours, boo. You had it before me. Um, so this is a place of can we and or how do we, maybe the question is, how do we bring people in to have these conversations? Is it possible yeah. to talk about we're all collectively, hopefully, in the work, trying to create or we're striving for a version of liberation that is holding more of us instead of less, right? So yes. we all have this collective wanting and knowing and things like that. So we have we're value aligned. Is there a way or is it possible for us to then have conversations that aren't attacking? that aren't about shame, blame, or guilt, but that are really just asking like, do you see what I see? And maybe can we meet on the, in the middle? Like, I don't want to take from you. I know you don't want to take from me. Yeah. And we all exist in these systems. And I'm sure we're both coming from some scarcity bullshit of like, you're stealing and I'm stealing and all that. Yeah. Can we be gentle with that? And maybe can we meet somewhere in the middle so I feel good about what you're doing, you feel good about what I'm doing, and we don't feel like we're stepping on each other's toes? How do we have those kind of transformative conversations? Yeah. Is that possible? Yeah. Oh, no. It's not, it, it, it always isn't because I've seen it blow up. Um, but I think that's the place to start if we can. Yeah. I love, I mean, that is good. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. Um, thank you for, yeah. for being in that inquiry with me. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up here, I want to ask what is um, going on in your world that people can support and how can they support what <sighs> you've got going on? I feel like I always have 12 million things going on. Um, <laughs> always. Um, but one thing I'm working on right now is a project called Loving Black Single Mothers. Um, and it's an in initiative that has had many different iterations over the years um but in this current iteration we are going to be stewarding five thousand dollars per month for a group of 10 black single mothers that they'll get for a year um and with no rules no regulations they'll get five thousand dollars to do and be with and support their family as they need to um, so that's one of the projects that I'm currently working on right now. So I have an advisory circle and we are in the stages of just dotting our I's and crossing our T's and making sure that uh, legally our entity is correct, uh, tax wise, that we ain't gonna get in trouble um, yeah. and doing all that. So that's like part of a lot of the work that I'm doing. And I'm gonna be pointing people to come like the end of this year and then into 2023. Um, so you'll see like a lighter version of it, which I did last year during the holiday time of 
getting $500 a month to Black single moms over the holidays. So that will be coming up as we enter the 2022 holiday season. There's always spell of capitalism, which we will be doing again in 2023. Not sure when we'll start enrollment, but you can get on um, the spell of capitalism daily, which is our list where you get just every day a new nugget around capitalism, just, just inspiring you to think about things differently. Um, and yeah, that's really, those are the two real big things right now. Thank you. And where can people find you? I'm mainly on Instagram. So you find me at Toy Marie or my website at toymarie.com. Or if you want to check out the Spell of Capitalism, it's spellofcapitalism.com. Awesome. And then what is lighting you up right now? Mm, what is lighting me up right now? I mean, I would say support in all the ways is lighting me up. I'm so used to doing things on my own. I'm very skilled. I can do a lot of things on my own. But I tell you, when you just ask people, like my ability now to ask people, mm. my muscle is so worked that like, I don't feel like I used to feel shame for that. And I don't anymore. So just like support and asking and people showing up and doing it with me. And so collaborations and collective care and gift giving and just like reciprocity all the way around is lighting me up and just feeling into deeply knowing that we're not out here alone like we're interdependent and there are people around that love us and me holding that true and testing it every day and reassuring myself like that's part of unspelling from these systems and liberation work too is to deeply know how much you are loved and we are loved and testing it and asking yeah. people to show up and showing up for yourself. And so that's lighting me up these days is really like feeling into my body that may some things may be shitty, but also some things are so beautiful because all these people are out here doing amazing work like you and you know all the people in my beloveds and my spaces. So that's what's lighting me up. Mm. That's so good. Thank you, Toy, for being on the podcast. Thank you. Hmm. What did you think, dear ones? I love, love, love being able to talk to the amazing guests that I get to have on this podcast. And I love being able to share with you. So please, if you are not already, follow us on Instagram at Let's Get Naked and keep the conversation going. We'd love to know what your thoughts, your feelings, your responses are to this podcast. So please keep this conversation going. Please share the conversation so that we can get into more ears and spread the gospel of liberation further and deeper. And then also just subscribe to this podcast so that you can, one, support us and keep doing this work and getting us again to more ears. And then also so that you'll always know when our episodes come out. And with that, I will leave you until next time, my love. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Much love to you.